Hey guys, and welcome back to a brand new season of Stir the Pot, a podcast all about food and the people that love it. On this season, I'm so excited to be bringing you some amazing guests, some brilliant people in the food industry, and I'm really excited about what they have to say. We have, in a couple of weeks, coming up, Jose Pizarro, one of my favourite chefs in the country, who runs my favourite tapas restaurant of all time. Uh, We also, I'm going to tease you, uh, we have one of the biggest, biggest names in food who has just agreed to come on. I'm not going to say his name in case it doesn't happen, but he has agreed we just need to figure out a date and I'm so, so excited because he's one of my food heroes and I'm really excited to hear what he has to say. We haven't scheduled all the episodes yet, so if there is anyone you would love to hear on an episode of Stir the Pot, you can drop me an email at stirpotpodcast at gmail.com and I will do my best to try and get them on to an episode, convince them that this is a worthwhile endeavour. On today's episode, I am joined by my good friend Neve Shields from eatlikeagirl.com, who is a food blogger, food writer, who has been blogging for over 10 years now and was one of the first food bloggers on the UK scene and kind of one of the big names still remaining. The scene has changed a lot over the last few years and Neve is still there doing really nice work in the food and travel kind of area and kind of the culture that exists between. It's a really uh, nice chat, really interesting chat. I've known Neve for years, so it is kind of just like two friends chatting because that's basically what it is. Um, I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Let me know. Leave me a comment. You can tweet me at uh, the boy who bakes. And if you would, I would appreciate it massively if you can leave a review on iTunes, tweet the show out, just because that's the way more people will hear it. And I would love to keep doing this, and I just need people to listen for me to do it more. So please enjoy the episode, and come back in two weeks for the next episode. Uh, thank you for joining me again today. Um, so as always, we're going to start with the same question. Uh, how did food become such a big part of your life? Food for me was a process of discovery. Sure. Um, as a child, I was a very fussy eater. Mm. I had a, a strong taste for eclairs and lemon meringue <laughs> pies and cheese and onion crisps. Sounds like my life today. <laughs> yeah, and potatoes. But really, outside of that, um, I didn't really... Uh, start to discover food mm. as as flavor experiences or cultural experiences until my late teens. Wow. And I think in hindsight, that's because I'm one of these super tasters who can't tolerate bitter oh, as a child. Fair. So, for example, broccoli or turnip. Oh, my God. I just couldn't handle them at all. Really? Yeah. So then when I was about 15, I remember I had a like, simple thing. I fried an onion and mixed it with rice. And I was like, that's really tasty. <laughs> and then I added mushroom. And I discovered ingredients one by one. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in rural Ireland. Um, so then when I went to the city, uh, <laughs> Irish city, so a small city, possibly a town by other standards. <laughs> but I started to uh, discover spices and um, I started through the internet learning about all different food cultures, mm. gathering, collecting books. And for me, it's just um, it's a process of discovery. And a re- I, I obviously love to eat mm. and I love flavor experiences, but I also love the discovery. So when you were in rural Ireland as a kid, what sort of food, you know, did your family cook? What sort of things were you eating at the time? Very classic Irish food. Uh, yeah. Very simple. Resisting um, the urge to make a joke. I know. It has loads of potatoes. <laughs> yes. And yes. No, literally, I wrote a question down and I thought, no, that's far too stereotypical. I'm not going to ask a question about potatoes. I'll run with the stereotypes. But you do love potatoes, though. I not, love not Irish them people. So I'm talking much. about you specifically. I know. I have, been, I have been called out once by one Irish person who said, but I don't like potatoes. And I'm like... Why? <laughs> I, I do find it weird how you couldn't like potatoes because, like, the actual inside of potato doesn't taste of 
a lot. So when you roast it, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, because for example, I just bought new potatoes、mm. in my farmer's market last week, and they're so sweet. They're, yeah, they're too、true. sweet for yeah, yeah, me. Yeah. Um. The Irish preference, certainly where I grew up, is for flowery potatoes. I miss those. We can't get them here. But where I I grew up on the sea,、mm. surrounded by fields of potatoes, so the potatoes I grew up on were really spectacular. Um, but like traditional things like um bacon and cabbage, nice uh Irish stew made with lamb or beef.、Mm. Um, yeah, simple stuff. A lot of minced beef,、uh, which I still really enjoy. Yeah, comfort food. Yeah, yeah, and just simple stuff. My mother was a working mother, and she's、yeah. a single parent, so. You know,、um, she kept us fed with very lovely traditional Irish food, and there's still flavors that I go back for.、Mm. And oh, I used to love a Breville toasted sausage sandwich. Where's that? Oh, Breville! Yeah, you know, the Breville like, machine. Breville well, the, the Breville toasty. It's important to say Breville because that's the one where it's、the、sealed、ridges. in、yes. and all the sausage fat is still in the sandwich. I have to say, I used to、and、love butter on the outside. All those sandwiches.、Yeah. I always did butter on the outside, but I always tried weird things. So I had things like.、Um, Oh, what was I? Peanut butter and banana was my、mm, favorite. That's said, Elvis, though, right?、Uh, no, Elvis. You need、With、to bacon. have bacon, and I think there's one other ingredient. I think I think sometimes people put marshmallow in it too, but that sounds <laughs> awful to me. Yes.、Um, but there was all I loved those、uh, sandwiches at the time, and I remember I was once.、Um, where was I? I was at some work dinner、uh, somewhere, and a few of us ended up getting slightly tipsy. So、mm-hmm. we went back to someone else's house who was a food writer, and she opened her fridge with like seventeen cheeses.、Oh. She just finished like a cheese job,、mm. and we just ate all these ridiculous cheese toasties. And it's just it's comfort food. There's、it's、something joy. Yeah, I think it's got everything because you've got the savory crispness of the bread, especially if you put butter on the outside.、Mm. The gooey, yeah, melty, deep flavor of the cheese. Yeah. So anyway, that that was my、mm. childhood,、um, and then.、Um, There wasn't really much convenience food,、sure. uh, but that did start to come into play as a teenager. I had a bit of a weakness for crispy pancakes. <laughs> Do you know I, the Finder's one? Beef, yeah. Never had one. Didn't you? No. They, they, I also think they sound amazing because I love that kind of a really savory. You know. Yeah. I think sometimes the crapper the better. This is a rare kind of thing, but、yeah. you know they look really good, like really bad, but really they're, good. They're great, and like they obviously don't make them anymore. But as an adult, I was like. There was there was a time I was like I wonder if those flavors still stand up and one was Angel Delight which I used <gasps> to love which one though it's a very important、um, for、question. me it's I I I everyone wants butterscotch but for me it's strawberry so that's the wrong answer it is indeed butterscotch no it's the, it's the <laughs> I disagree <laughs>、um, so、uh, dream topping all、yeah. these kind of foods of that time I think sometimes people、yeah. are really snobby about.、Um, Those artificial things, but actually, sometimes I think, especially from a place of nostalgia, they're really good. They are, you know, I totally agree. And again, through the process of discovery, discovering Sri Lankan mutton rolls and tooting,、mm. I'm like, oh my god, that's like a crispy pancake, yeah, 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 yeah. except it's better. <laughs> yeah. Because、yeah. it's lamb and potato curry inside. It's amazing. Have you ever heard? This is completely random. My best friend、uh, used to, and I, he do, still does, just doesn't allow himself to buy it anymore.、Mm. Buy something called hamwich. Hamwich. Have you heard of this? Never、yet? heard of hamwich. So it it's kind of a triangle of ham. Yeah. That on top of it has a layer of like cheese sauce,、oh. and then it's frozen and deep fried. So it's crumbed. Sounds, it's、yeah. disgusting. Like it's. I want it to be really like bad and good. It's just it's on the wrong. But level you know what I'm hearing when you're saying that? Make your own version. Yes. It would be incredible. I'm like I、mm-hmm. want to make that at home. It would be like a version of a croquette, basically. Yes. And I, that, my favorite food of all time. 
Yeah, um, croquettes are ma- so. I did grow up with croquettes. As well. Oh, really? Well, the potato ones. Yeah, but another another big thing uh, for me uh, was the summertime and stewed fruit. Oh yeah. So nice. rhubarb was everywhere. There was uh, two like two little orchards within mm. a five minute walk of my house. Oh nice. And you know we just had apples all the time <laughs> and gooseberries. Yeah. And I still love those. Because you grew up in a single parent household, and yeah. they, this may just be my assumption. Yeah. Does that mean you were in the kitchen from quite a young age, kind of helping out? Were you the oldest? I'm uh, the oldest, yeah. yeah. So uh, to an extent I was, I mean, I always was really trying, like I do remember um, we lived four miles outside town mm. and um, I, my mother gave me uh, some money to go in and get some food and um I went in and I was just amazed at the, in the fruit and veg shop. I bought so much and I brought it back. <laughs> Still what I do. Today. Yeah. Like, oh, my this, my this. This is amazing. And so um, I I used to cook all the time mm. as a teenager. So in the summer holidays. Uh, so I think I made quiche for the first time, quiche Lorraine, and a, a salad for my mother. <laughs> and um, I was just like, this is amazing. And that for me, like cooking is all about cooking for mm-hmm. people as well. There was always loads of apple tarts. I used to make lemon meringue pies, I think on a daily basis mm. in the summer holidays. But we had a great like, um, even though my mother doesn't enjoy cooking, she cooks to eat, sure. um, which is all very good. But um, we had uh, compulsory home economics classes. But yeah. We also had compulsory science. When I say compulsory home economics classes, people assume, oh, yeah, well, that's what happens when you go to an Irish convent school. No, we had the like, same when I was yeah, younger. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I think actually it's really important. I, I think, think so, too. I think teaching it should be the compulsory. Basics. Yeah. That's right. That's where I learned to make a bechamel. Yeah. Uh, that's where I learned to make everything. I was always, I've spent my whole life trying to avoid the wash up. I think that's a real driving force in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm very happy to have a dishwasher here. <laughs> So is that how you think you actually learned to cook, kind of just starting early and uh, actually doing it? So my aunt, my mother's sister, was a huge influence on me as well. Um, I used to go every summer mm. uh, to her place and she had an acre of land, eight children, six of them older than me, uh, grew loads of uh, vegetables, had fruit patch, had greenhouses. Mm. And that really opened my eyes. And she used to make jam and, uh, you know, everything. Mm. She made everything that they ate. And uh, every time I went home... I would come home with a new box of things. Um, like one summer I came home with a box of industrial colors and flavors and I was in a real petty four frame of mind. I was about eight. Uh, but she lived near Ballymaloo, so I would occasionally get things oh, from nice. the Ballymaloo shop nice. that she had bought me and she would send me home with cookbooks. So I, I honestly think probably at the age of eight or so is when my aunt really kickstarted that passion mm. for that in me. Because I, I also really like crafts. Yeah. Like I used to do a lot of sewing and knitting and all this kind of stuff. Not so much anymore. So you've moved on to gardening now. I've moved on to gardening. <laughs> which we'll talk about yeah, later. Yeah. So um, when you moved to the, the big city, yes. which big city was it? Cork. It was Cork. Ireland's so- second city. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. I think at the time it was about 250,000 people. I mean, it's a university city. Yes, I did know so that. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a great city. I think Cork is fantastic. It is small. It's it's small enough where you can't walk down the street without meeting someone you know, mm. but it's big enough to have lots to do. Sure. So yeah. when you moved to Cork, mm-hmm. did you move there for university? Mm-hmm. What was your kind of plan? Like, what did you go to study? What were you kind of thinking your life would be? Uh, well, when I was about 15, I uh, when I was doing home economics, I remember uh, thinking I might like to be a chef mm. or a dressmaker. <laughs> I know. Uh, I was just thinking... Like, oh my God. yeah, sure, they're the same. Yep. Yeah, no, I, and I because home economics at the time included sewing. Yeah, the home economics had three sections. It had cooking, science, 
and See, we learned about the body as well oh, and we def- domestic I, science i definitely remember doing the I remember doing like needlepoint and yeah. having to do cross stitch yeah. in a kitchen. That's where our <laughs> classes were. Um, and I remember um, like simple things like we had to learn how to make a pizza. Yeah. And we had to learn how to make, um, I sh- we had to show how to make scones. I was like, I can already do that. I don't remember science in it. What sort of science? Um, actually, the book has been reprinted and it's amazing to see now. Like the science was pretty basic. And actually when, when you did it for leaving certificate, which is the same as mm. A-levels, it got really into biology. Sure. So, but what we did, like things like we had a chapter on, and this isn't science, but a chapter on personal hygiene <laughs> and the importance of that. And like, you know, like it's important. life skills. Everyone who went to university knows that's very important because not I, everyone knows how to do that. I know. So I what know. did you actually go to study at university? I studied biology in the end. Um, uh, so with the, so I was discouraged, I think, in school mainly from being a chef because I was very academic mm. and it wasn't seen as a good uh, career choice for me. At I don't that think time. that's uncommon either. Yeah. I think I, I think that's maybe changed these days, but yeah. I definitely encounter a lot of people who say the reason they had a change in their career later yeah. on in life to move into food somehow yeah. was because they had been discouraged mm-hmm. from doing that by a teacher or a parent or they just wanted you to do something that was much more straight down the line simple. yeah and something with a bit more security sure. and that they were only really thinking of me yeah, of enough money but like so in the end anyway i i decided to do the irish system we have uh, seven subjects it's baccalaureate style system yeah. so english irish french maths and then i did physics chemistry and business organization but i found business organization to be so incredibly boring <laughs> I switched out of it I mean, to biology. Even, even the title sounds. I know. Snooze. I was like, it, it felt to me, and I watched a lot of movies as a kid. So <laughs> at the age of 15, we were talking about what a cartel was. And I remember this being the moment where I decided I was out. And I was like, how do people not know what a cartel is? And I was like, well, I know what a cartel is because I've probably seen a lot of movies I shouldn't have seen that have cartels Just in watching them. watching drug movies at 10. Uh, who knows? Like, because we used to go, my mother's friend worked in the video rental shop. <laughs> and take- we used to get summer holidays we would just get movies <laughs> it was brilliant amazing but yeah so science and i ended up doing physiology and i loved my degree i i found it i'm really interested in the human body and how and, and actually that feeds into the food stuff i do as well yeah definitely well because you're very concerned about the health side of things yes and we're definitely gonna talk about that later just yeah. because it's affected you personally yes. which has changed your outlook yeah. a little bit but um obviously initially i mentioned it already you didn't have the traditional route into food you no. went into uh, uh, science and um, uh, events management, not events management, um, project management, right? Yes. So I, after my degree in physiology, I had agreed in principle to do a PhD in Leeds on oh, physiology. I did not know that. Yeah. That's my area. Yeah. Not physiology, just Leeds. <laughs> yeah. And at the very last minute, I thought, you know what? I don't think I really want to do this. Because sure. I realized that, and what I respect and really admire people who can pursue a lifetime in a lab and Mm. and do really important things with their lives because frankly that's what they're doing yeah i was just like i actually don't think it's it's really what i want to do so um i did a master's in technology Mm. multimedia technology and then moved to london and worked for nature science magazine i see i was gonna ask i I, i've actually i've known you for seven years i never knew how and why you moved to london yeah I knew, obviously, you were working, but I didn't know if that was the reason or if there's something else. I didn't come for the job. Oh, you didn't? Uh, No, I didn't. Um, When I was in Ireland, so uh, Cork is a great city, but a small city. I've always wanted to travel. Mm. London was never the destination. London was the The starting off off point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there was no work in in Cork. Um, I was working in a call center. That's the only job I could get. Yeah. Taking calls for 
Telly Bingo and the British Embassy. <laughs> Very <on>. diverse <laughs> and lots of other people, right? But anyway, so I moved to London for work and, yeah. and to earn enough money to do other things. Sure. How um, long ago was that? 15 years ago. And you've been here? I've been here ever pretty since. Pretty much ever since. Yeah. Although, I mean, you say you've been here, you'd leave quite a lot. <laughs> I do leave quite a lot. So I have a running joke that Neve's never in the in the country. And that would have been true until last year. That has changed a lot, yeah. I yeah. mean, when I first met you, you would be uh, here for like two days and then mm. like be in 17 countries for the rest of the year. I know. And I think you're probably the most well-traveled person I know. Um, so I also wanted to ask you that because yeah. when you started your blog which was 10 years ago yeah. now uh, 2007 um i'm assuming initially it was about food it was about recipes why it, did it was you start actually it? always uh, like i've always always mm. wanted to travel yeah and i've always been really uh in, interested in food like i would say from the age of about eight starting with a real sweet obsession as i discussed earlier <laughs> but you know um I, I remember seeing marco polo on tv and going can you do that is that a thing and like Amazing. ever since then yeah. I've been really obsessed I had an inflatable globe that I bought in the pound shop Amazing. that I was completely obsessed with and I was always studying the countries and going well then I go there and I can go this way yeah. so when I started the blog it was because I had a, a job and I didn't earn a lot of money mm. I was restricted in what I could do <laughs> Sure. but my first travel post was the second month of the blog Oh wow! I went to Andalusia for a friend's wedding Oh amazing! and I wrote about that so why did you actually start the blog in the first place because 10 years ago is kind of you know before blogging really hit it was real early doors early days. yeah yeah, uh, yeah wild wild west wagons <laughs> we all had our laptops in the back of our wagons <laughs> no, but all, all jokes aside lots of tumbleweeds yeah. everyone was like why are you doing this yeah and i was what's like because i'm what's doing a blog well i've always loved writing mm. and i've always loved cooking and i was aspiring to be a better photographer sure. and um i was just really frustrated i had no creative outlet yeah and when i looked at my future i was i found it to be very narrow and I was like, this is not the direction I want to go in. I didn't see the blog as a, a, a way sure. out of what I was doing. It was just something you needed to do at the time. It was a release yeah. and a relief, I would say. When I went home after like, because uh, my, my job was, it was pretty intense. I'd come home and I would sit down at the laptop and it would just be a really lovely hour or two yeah. when I was completely released from all the worries of the day, whatever they were, mm -hmm. and just really enjoying what I was doing. So it became my primary outlet for me. I, I, th I, I think yeah. that's a really common thread. I mean, it's something I'm obsessed with. I have a fascination with what it was that made someone go, screw this. I'm doing something that I love. I'm changing my mm -hmm. life because it's something I went through when I was 24 mm -hmm. and I find more and more people I interview, it's a real common thread that falls through it. Um, and I think you have that in smaller or bigger degrees throughout your life. So mm. that hour thing you mentioned is something that I'm doing at the moment. So uh, I have a job that I absolutely love and it's very creative, but it isn't necessarily for me mm -hmm. anymore. And I kept realizing that I don't have that thing anymore. So mm -hmm. I've started something that a friend of mine started doing and it's like an hour of writing or journaling or painting even which mm. I'm trying to start doing mm. just for me it's not for anyone else no one will ever see it um, because actually it's kind of uh, it's almost a form of meditation yes and I think the way you started doing like an hour for me mm. rings many many bells for me absolutely and what you're saying now is true for me too mm. because as much as like doing what I'm doing now I couldn't have imagined 10 or 15 years ago that sure, I would be you yeah. know I would just be like what mm. 
uh, but the technology didn't exist or all this. But at the same time, because it's my job now, it's not really relaxing anymore. It's not the same thing. It's intense and it's deadline driven. And I have big lists that I've got to get through. And (laughs) my whole life is multiple lists on my phone. So now um, I have my little vegetable garden, which for me is like a meditation. But also I really want to learn to draw. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm also kind of things, terrible, right? terrible, terrible, terrible. Oh, I'm shocking. I have the skills of a five-year-old, I but a limited five-year-old. I literally went <laughs> to the art store yesterday. Yeah. And I bought watercolour pencils. Amazing. I, I love that. Water pa- water uh, paintbrushes, so you can do watercolours without having to have uh, brushes. Um, I just, I basically just wanted to have another kind of creative outlet. Absolutely. Which is why I started um, my blog probably about the same time. I started yeah. mine... Hang on, so I'm now 32, so I started mine when I was... Yeah, I oh, I started mine either nine and a half or ten years ago, so yeah. about the same time. Yeah. It's changed name like four times since then, so you can't <laughs> see evidence of it. Um, so when you started the blog, yeah. obviously blogging at the time, especially in the UK, especially for food, mm. was very, very different. Yeah. And I think within a couple of years, it was at its heyday. Like yeah. when I moved to London seven years ago, yeah. um, I think food blogging, especially like the restaurant food blogging, which you were doing kind yeah. of at the time, yeah. was massive. Yeah. But most of the people that were doing it back then have disappeared. Yeah. Or they're there, but they're not really doing it. They have, they've gone back to, you yeah. know, office jobs. So what is it that has kept you doing that and that has uh, fueled you to keep doing that? And, you know, how have you seen it change over the last kind of seven years? Yeah, years? I mean, you're absolutely right. I do wonder if looking back at those days seven years ago, it feels in hindsight to have been an intense and a very happy time. Mm. Um but I guess we were a really small world as it well. Really was. And in Tiny our community. small world, it was big, but it was small. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally do. It, <laughs> it felt like we were, you know, like everyone was doing something super, super important and massive. Yeah. But actually, half the, you know, so many people never heard of it. I know. It's and this, niche, but niche is good. Yeah. And the thing about it is, I, I find now having been through this a few times in lots of different communities mm. now, but that was our community then. And when a community is starting out, it's really positive, enthusiastic, generous and encouraging. (laughs) And I felt like that was the driving spirit for all of us then. Mm. I think it's really, really hard to to keep it going. I mean, for me, I don't have a family. I'm not married. Um, I've chosen a life of travel Mm. and a a life of, uh, it sounds really pretentious, but discovery. (laughs) But, you know, I've never even thought that before. Ed, you're bringing this all out of me. It it was the fact that you actually, the fact that you uh, said it knowingly that it was pretentious means it's fine. If you were just (laughs) wistfully sat here and went, Uh, I have a life of discovery and travel. I'm a lone wanderer. That would have been annoying. (laughs) But I don't know, like, I am... uh, I I have made choices that allow me to be free sure. to pursue this. So I have made choices that have been, um, you know, that have been restrictive mm. financially. Sure. So um, I don't own a house. Yeah. I don't really own. Oop I can't down. drive. Every time we see yeah. each other, we talk about how expensive this city I is. Know. It's ridiculous. It's totally insane. So I think if you um, if you have other responsibilities, it ca- it can be difficult. Yeah. Um, but also there are people who have families and keep this going. I think it's a matter of setting that time aside, but you really need to want to do it mm-hmm. because there are times when you won't really want to do it. And over the years, there's been times where I haven't blogged for a month mm-hmm. and it's never been conscious. I just haven't had the energy yeah. for yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, reason yeah, yeah. Totally. in that time. But I always come back to it and, you know, uh, 10 years now. So, I mean, let's see. But I think what I, uh, I the positive feedback when when readers tell you, that they really like what you're doing or they like your recipes. And then that kind of keeps you going as well because it's like, well, people are enjoying it. And 
like the idea of contributing something positive to someone's life, even if it's just an encouragement for a nice meal. Yeah. It's, I, I love that. Well, I, I think sometimes um, one of the things that I find most satisfying is the response. Mm-hmm. So my whole aim with everything that I do is trying to, um, you know, inspire people to get in the kitchen, whether that's through having a chat with people on this podcast or whether it's through my books or whatever. Um, and then getting the response back that it's worked yeah. is always a wonderful kind of uh, pushing force. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you get these random emails from people you've never heard of. They've never commented on anything. And they just yeah. don't want, they just say, just want to say, I really love that. I've made, what was it? There was something the other day. There was a recipe. Oh, it was, at, so I was at Bake for Syria um, mm. a couple of weeks ago. And a woman came up to me and said, oh, you know that um, uh, tahini and chocolate cake you put in Olive magazine? I just wanted to say, I absolutely love it. We make it for all of our birthdays now. And it's become a family favorite. I'm like, that's the best thing I can ever have. So I think those moments, for me especially, are definitely what drives me on. Absolutely. And like in the UK, people don't really comment. Not in the same way as the US. No, No, not anymore. It's very different. And so I remember someone... um, and I can't remember if it was on Twitter or or the blog, just saying uh, something happened. I can't remember what it was, but it was something I was celebrating. And they were like, oh, I've been reading since the very beginning. And I was yeah. like, that's amazing. And I never even knew they were there. <laughs> because unless someone comments, yeah. you don't know. And of course, maybe people don't want to let you know they're there. And that's fine, too. Well, it's like that line from um, Julie and Julia, where mm. when she's setting up blogs, she goes, oh, for every like one comment, does that mean there's like 150 other people? And like. Yes, no, yes. it absolutely does. And even bigger now, I think, to be honest. But uh, people don't have the time. I, I totally understand why. I mean, I, I do try to comment now when I read sure. something I really enjoy. Just, I think it's really important to encourage. Because mm. um, it's actually, I think, people stop because they become discouraged. Because yeah. maybe they don't have the time or the energy or the resources or whatever it is. But I think if you encourage people, and I think, you know, life can be tough. And mm. these tiny moments of, of positivity are very important. Yeah. And that's what I try to do. Like, that's what I try. Yeah. I remember that I was at a panel recently and there was a criticism of um, kind of online people. Mm. And one of the criticisms was that there wasn't enough negativity. Mm. Um, and it was to do with the fact that it was mainly... In criticism. At, yeah, it was mainly to do with restaurants. Mm. And my, I was sat there thinking, the reason I don't put negativity on there is I don't want there to be negativity on, in what I put out. Because yeah. I don't enjoy being negative. And I think there's more than enough of that. So I like the fact that food generally, not criticism, but food generally is a positive space that you can go and escape to. So I kind of didn't really agree with the criticism. but And I do think as well that it really depends on what your primary focus is. Of course. If your primary focus is restaurants, then absolutely you should. Be balanced, yeah. Yeah, totally. but for me, like um, I share, for example, I wrote a post on Dajirling Express recently, a restaurant that I really love. Mm, and, I was reading uh, that Yeah, yeah. And Asma is wonderful. And, you know, I think it's really important to support people like Asma. Mm. And yeah, some might say, but you never post anything critical. And it's like, well, you know, um, I only... Like it's for me, it's about sharing good things. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, you know, if I, I try to avoid bad experiences and like life is too short, I want every calorie to be a really happy one. <laughs> you know, and of course I do accidentally have bad meals. Of course. And I do. Another thing that online people get criticism for is uh, people say that they never say it in the restaurant, but then they say it online. And true. that's just not true. Yeah. And actually, my experience is when you do say it in the restaurant, they're really unhappy with you. Yeah, it's but difficult. But if I've had, and it's only happened a few times, but if I've had a really bad meal, um, I will, say, I will say, look, this, this is, 
not good or yeah. you know and give feedback i think back. it's partly the british thing of saying yeah. oh no how is everything it's great Thank well you. it's it's intimidating as well isn't it it is intimidating well, because you're sat down and they're stood above you that's a really yeah you know a differential kind of uh, and you're in their play. place yeah you know you're in their place and yeah so i think there's always going to be criticism right but at the end of the day if you are um a restaurant critic paid by a newspaper or a magazine to do your <laughs> yeah. job then you do your job in a very specific yeah. way if you have a blog and you're just doing your thing it's harder well then you just do your thing yeah yeah and no, like and it's not it's not even that it's um and of course you do have to be aware of legalities surrounding mm-hmm. uh, what you're putting out there as well so i are there many um criticism blogs in the uk no. now i don't think there well are. that was the thing is i remember when i first moved to london there was so many like food blogs that only wrote about restaurants yeah. and a lot of them did seem to fall into that criticism of they're only yeah. there to get a freebie and i think almost all of those people have disappeared mm-hmm. um food blogs these days either are uh, kind of more general so they cover everything mm-hmm. or they're super super specific and they mm. cover one topic um, but yeah, that criticism thing. Has, but I think that's died away everywhere. Yeah. I think there's the, the big professional, you know, criticism sites like Eater, or yeah. um, there's some big ones in the US. But really, they don't exist in that same way at a, a, a smaller level anymore. It's, I don't it's think it's a culture difference too, isn't it? And um, I just think that people don't obsess about blogs in the way that they used no. to because everyone is now, now obsessed to with Instagram podcasts. and podcasts. <laughs> Let's hope no, anyway. like because th- that debate, I think it was the same one that it I was, was at, and it was really about Instagram then, and they were calling people out, yeah. and you know, I was just like, but that panel was imbalanced, and I gave that feedback on the yeah, night. Yeah. There was no one from online representing the other side. It was an interesting debate because it was kind of um, covering the balance of. Uh, if Instagram is a good thing for food mm. in the city and in London and in general, really. And there was a lot of people on the panel who really didn't think it was. Yeah. Um, and I, it was sad that there was no one there from who, whose kind of main focus is Instagram. Yeah. Who could put a, a balanced point on there. Mm. But my point of view, just kind of very quickly, was that, you know, I think actually you have to face the reality that a lot of people find their restaurant recommendations these days on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I do. You know, I follow people like yourself that I trust implicitly because mm. I know you're putting out good content. Mm. And I like that recommendation because I know I tend to agree with that person. Whereas yeah. I I think the mechanics of um, traditional um, writing and criticism for a newspaper, it's slightly murkier. People yeah. don't quite know who's paying, who's not. You know, it's different. Yeah. Um, and I think when you're spending your own money, which the people that I follow, the ones that yeah. I really like are, yeah. I trust their opinion because they're not going to say, they might not say bad things, but they say good things about the places that they like. So yeah. I, I follow that. And the important thing as well is trust. Yeah, definitely. That's the most important word there because when I follow someone, if I get a bad recommendation from them, I will not trust yeah. another one. Yeah, no, I agree. And that goes for newspaper critics too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, think that's, I think that's very valid. But um, mm. I think we should move on to yeah. more things about you, more interesting things. So you went from blogging. How long were you blogging until your first book came out? Uh, so I started 2007, four years. Uh, four years. It felt a lot longer. Mm. Like it really felt like I've been blogging for ages, <laughs> but I hadn't been, obviously. No, five years is in the kind of grand scheme of things, quite a short time to yeah. before you get your book. And it was actually made quite quickly in mm. hindsight. So and it was Comfort and Spice. Yeah. So, so what was the book actually about? Obviously, I have So a copy it was really about, um, when, when we first put the cover together, um, I looked at it with my editor and we realized... Oh my God, if you looked at that book on a shelf, you'd have no idea it was a cookbook. 
<laughs> well, I think all of that so, series didn't look like cookbooks. Well, we just so we had to put a title on it. <laughs> and where Confidence Spice came from was I didn't want to have it, call it Eat Like a Girl. I wanted to save that for a later book sure. that was kind of more a, a bigger book because this was part of a series called New Voices in Food. It mm. wasn't um, a, a standalone one in a sense. Who else was in it? Because it was you, James uh, Ramsden. I can't Stevie remember. Stevie Pearl, Alice it. Hart. Oh, I didn't know Alice yeah. Hart. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it was a really good stable of authors to be in. Mm. But um, uh, yes, we just decided, we were talking about what the name should be and... As we were talking, comfort and spice were the two things. Spice is a real driver for me. Um, I'm quite frugal in my cooking. And I think that's just, again, it's how I was brought up. It's a very Irish way of thinking about food. But I also love when you can create something very special Mm -hmm. from inexpensive ingredients. Yeah, 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 and you can. And spice for me is a really brilliant way of doing that. And I also, I just love big flavors. So... I guess I started talking to publishers in October 2010. Mm. I signed the contract in January 2011, mm. and the book came out in September. <laughs> well, that really so it was is quick. super fast turnaround. Yeah. So how did how did you find the difference of working for like a publisher, like kind of yeah. you know the old school term of mainstream media, mm. versus doing your own thing? Which one would you prefer? Which one? How do you find the difference? Uh, so f- for me, again, I had worked in teams before, but I'd never worked in a, a team where I was the kind of creative focus of it all. Sure. So I actually found it to be, in hindsight, I don't think I realized it at the time. I, I found it quite pressurized and it was pressure I was putting on myself. Sure. This all, and I think actually when I look back at situations that I found difficult, it's always been pressure that I've put on myself. Mm. But there's a lot to be said for being surrounded by an experienced creative team yep. who can support you and get you through it. It's like you're stepping on a boat mm-hmm. and With everyone else is doing the rowing and stuff and because they know what they're doing. Whereas now doing my own thing, which has been a lengthy process mm. with a lot of complications, um yeah it's it's all it can be overwhelming doing it your own way obviously you have creative control for good and for bad sure um but yeah i mean let's see how it works out <laughs> i'm feeling quite positive about it well let's um, talk I'm about really the new one the so yeah. um the new book is bacon yeah um and you're probably one of the only people that i know that actually one of the kind of bigger names that's kick-started yeah. a book so how did you find the process because Obviously, I'm sure people that know you know it's had a few issues. Yeah, and it's very late. It is very, very late, you know. And um, uh, so I crowdfunded it. Mm. It's something I thought about at length. A few people I know in the industry, and I asked a lot of people for advice. And a few people really discouraged me from doing it. I was going to say, how many people? Because I've had the same thing. I was chatting to a good friend of mine who works in publishing the other day. And I was like, oh, I've been thinking about it. And he went, he literally just turned to me and went, don't. Don't, 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 don't. Worst decision you can make. So what was it that made you want to do it completely on your own? Was it the direction of the book? um, So a few things. I think one of the things, I mean, one thing I will stress up Mm. front is I have so much more respect for publishers now. (laughs) And I always respected them before. I mean, I am like a a core customer for any cookbook publisher. I just bought 10 books the other day Mm. uh, because I'm just like, these are things I want to read. I love cookbooks yeah. still. So I absolutely love publishing. But I think I've always been very entrepreneurial. I've, you know, I used to set up shops in our driveway. Um, we used to go in and buy, there was no shops near us. We would go into town and buy these, remember those kits for making cakes and buns? And then we'd sell them, make a profit and blow it on more sweets, you know. But like, 
<laughs> so I've always been very, very entrepreneurial. And I think that was the key driver for me. Sure. And as well, I used to be a project manager. So I wasn't worried about being able to put together a project. Um, but, you know, it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've learned. And also, I underestimated the costs. Yeah. And so I had to raise money personally just by working extra hard. Yeah. On, on other stuff so it has been very very complicated but it's nearly there now and um let's see i mean the real you know the real proof will be in the eating and what mm-hmm. people think of it you know and i think some people probably have been very critical of my decision and think it was a mistake mm. there were publishers who were interested in working with me on my next book at the time mm. and i have to say since actually quite recently a publisher is interested so in maybe good. looking at the book so that that's Wine really good bacon and yeah well i haven't put it out there yet like i know it was a very casual conversation sure, sure, sure. so I, I but um you know um let's see what people think i want to make something that i feel really expresses what yeah. i want to do i want it to be fun i want it to be delicious and i want it to be really accessible I want people to pick it up mm. and open it and just feel like kind of a little bit happy about the potential of what they're going to do. Yeah. That's I mean, the book is a, 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 a recipe book where every recipe is about bacon. That's so right. You're going to be quite happy when you cook from it. <laughs> That's right. And so what I've decided to do, uh, there's been lots of meanders. And I have to say, I'm so grateful for my Kickstarter backers who've been incredibly patient. Some have have been unhappy with me. And I totally <laughs> understand why. I've always offered full refunds yeah. uh, for anyone who wanted them. Actually, it's, it's been, yeah. uh, I, as I've kind of sat there and watched it, because obviously I backed the, yeah. the thing and it's never bothered me once that it was yeah. going to be late because I was excited about the product anyway. Yeah. It's interesting to see the response from yeah. some people. I'm sure it is it's a It's always a small number. And, you know, I totally understand why people are frustrated. Mm. And But you've been very clear about why. Yes. You've never hidden behind and just gone, well, the money's mine now. You've been very open no, about No, and actually, delays. I think one thing, like, you just it, the the kind of the guilt of not delivering can be sure, crushing, yeah, of like course. crushing. Well, it just but says you're not, you know, not a psychopath. You're a normal human being. You actually feel the pressure of I that. I took on a super big project <laughs> yeah. without realizing. Uh, but you know, it's all good. I'm, I'm, I'm quite hopeful that I'll deliver something that people will be really happy with. Mm. And it's it's much bigger than I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't you Keep add like adding. three chapters? Oh my god! But it's huge. So. um but I want it to be accessible. Like everything I do, I want it to be accessible. Because I just remember when I, you know, when I was a kid and like there was never really, I couldn't go to an expensive cooking school. It wasn't an option for me. And when I came to London, again, I was like all of us when we moved to London, I was really limited financially. And there was lots of things I really wanted to do and I couldn't do them. And I really want what I do to be accessible to everyone. So well, I'm going to release the book in ebook chapters and they're going to be very inexpensive mm. so that anyone who wants to do my recipes nice because i've got quite a lot of young followers as well who are like in school well that we were talking about that earlier because um something that kind of it, it doesn't surprise me but it maybe does a little bit is how much you love snapchat because yeah. before snapchat came around it just didn't strike me something that you would enjoy but i know you use snapchat you're still using snapchat <laughs> Um, but you're whenever whenever I look at Snapchat, you're always there. Yeah. Like you're in your garden talking about yeah. it. You're cooking on it. So what is it about that kind of new kind of style media that you really enjoy? Again, I guess when it always comes back for me, I feel when I'm presenting myself, I'm doing it in a very direct, honest way. Mm. Um, and this is one of the reasons I decided to publish myself. And I think maybe I wasn't communicating myself very well. 
people didn't I, I felt like people didn't really understand what I was about and were trying to present me in a different mm-hmm. way whereas when I'm doing my own thing yeah and it's very direct I never wear makeup like as you know <laughs> I'm like hair is usually like a hornet's nest you know but it's honest and it's real and that's what I like I about it and also it's uncomplicated it mm-hmm. doesn't require a lot of time yeah. to set up it's just like blah blah send I have to agree I mean uh, I was a massive uh, skeptic about Snapchat I just thought oh this is just for people to send, you know, certain types of pictures to each other. <laughs> um, and or for, you know, very young girls to chat with each other, like my niece does. My yeah. niece loves Snapchat, but I don't understand what she's doing with it. It makes no sense to me when I look at these pictures. I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah. And so I just, I, I never thought it would be something for me. And I think it was probably you and a couple of other people that I saw were using it. I thought, okay, fine, I'll give it a well, go. David Leibovitz is very active on David there is still. massive yeah. on it, and he, yeah. he really enjoys it. And yeah. I actually think... Um, you, actually, you and David are the only people that I still watch. <laughs> um, I instantly took to it. Yeah. And I think I, for the exact same reason you just mentioned, and that was the connection point, because, you know, I do bits of TV, but it's not every day. And most of my work is behind a recipe in a magazine. It's not my personality. Yeah. And I remember the first uh, first month that I started doing it, the amount of comments I would get where people went, oh, that's what you sound like. Because yeah. people aren't in the UK and they're not necessarily watching my shows. It's amazing. Like only when Instagram stories started, some of my followers realized I was Irish. <laughs> and they've been following me for years. Your and name is like, Neve. Spelt like, how is it? Nyam? No, but some people think it's African. <laughs> really? Yeah, like it's really strange. The world is big, Ireland's small. Not everyone thinks we're as important as we think we are. I do find it uh, yeah. childish, but I love it when you come back from traveling and you say what the hotel called you. Oh, and, like, there's so many like... Or the amount of times people think it's Mr. And then I turn up and they're like, oh. <laughs> Let's quickly so change our room around. that's a woman's name. But it's like, uh, <laughs> what was it? it was, Niam was one of them. The best Niam. one. What was be- the worst one? The, well, the best. Slash, yeah. Uh, Niamoch. <laughs> And I was like, what? Well, how do you get oh, that? Don't ever order coffee in a Starbucks then. <laughs> it could be quite funny. We could do a whole series on it. Oh, it would be hilarious. But um, yeah. no, I think there is something really nice about that personal connection. Yeah. And I think, I, to me, it harkens back to how you learn to cook. Because yeah. when I was a kid, I cooked with my mum in the kitchen. Yeah. And so I think that one-to-one connection is actually yeah. really important. It is. Um, and, and works. It is. And, you know, I think a lot of it is as well. I mean, uh, people who know me as an adult and know me like I am very social and mm. quite extrovert but actually I'm I'm really shy as well and that really surprises people as a child I was incredibly shy and I think I still have that in me yeah, definitely. where I can be um a bit awkward with a team okay whereas when I'm doing my own thing it's that. it's more direct it's like because I'm not all of the things that bother me or or hold me back mm in a more formal situation are not there sure. so what i'm doing is way more direct and there's no filters or barriers yeah. i think that's that's the thing i think there is something really freeing about doing that kind of uh thing and it's actually i don't know it reinvigorated my love for what i do because yeah. actually the direct response and the kind of instant connection was something that was really nice which is one of the reasons that i like doing the podcast is it's a different form of communication with people that i'm wanting to kind of connect with exactly because i think so many of the other channels became about like on twitter it was about being the funniest or the smartest yeah, 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 instagram yeah. being the most perfect life i'm presenting my most perfect life and that's not something i can do because i don't care about perfection no i try to take the best photo i can in the moment sure. so that i can hopefully eat everything reasonably hot <laughs> 
that's my main focus. Yeah. And so my pictures are pretty simplistic. But, um, well, it's that thing of, for me, um, the reason I loved Instagram stories was because Instagram itself was almost my portfolio. It's my work, mm. it's my food styling, it's my photography. And it doesn't necessarily affect my life because, like, there's like 17 f- uh, photographic backgrounds behind me. Yes, of course. Like, it's yeah. it's work, it's not my life. So Instagram stories was really, really nice, uh, kind of the other side of the coin, almost. Yeah. It was the the, the real the me, almost. Yeah. And I think that balance is really nice for me, anyway. Yeah. Um, so what is the future for Eat Like a Girl, then? It's a very good question. Um, <laughs> Ten years down the line. So when I started Eat Like a Girl, the name was really appropriate. And now I'm like... Does the name still fit? Well, I was going to ask, do you get the same criticism that I get? Because I get people all the time, mainly men, saying, you're not a boy anymore. You can't call yourself the boy who bakes. That's weird. (laughs) It's meant to be silly. It's fun. Calm down. Well, this is it. For me, Eat Like a Girl was like, I've, I've always been, I think... Like, I was a tiny, raging feminist when I was a kid, as much as I'm a, 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 a bigger one now. And uh, so, like a girl, for me, was a kind of taking back. Because whenever I, whenever I read Eat Like a Girl, it was always some guy saying that people don't eat properly and they just eat salad because they're obsessed with their weight. Whereas for me, <laughs> eating like a girl was like eating with passion and gusto and... Yeah. And I just wanted to take that back. Mm. But I don't know if it still applies. I really don't know. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Mm. And I'm like, well, if I change it, then what is it? And will people know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I change it now, is it like starting again? And is that something I want to do? And maybe I do because mm. I'm definitely, I'm traveling a lot. Like, and for me, like food is all about people and culture and stories. And yeah. I absolutely love traveling and discovering what people do there and I really want to do and I've been doing that for years now but um, once this book is done I'll have more time to create more of that kind of content so I I don't think the direction isn't going to change it'll just be more formalized Mm -hmm. I'd like to do more long-form content around travel more video I've been talking about podcasts for years too so maybe that (laughs) will happen Um, but yeah for me like I just uh, like I think to open up the world a bit yeah, and just share people's stories and the people like um, I'm very, very interested in indigenous cuisines mm-hmm. and indigenous people, you know, Irish people are indigenous, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. as are English people. But like, obviously, there's a lot of indigenous people having a very hard time. And so uh, recently in Canada, I spent time with indigenous people there and cooked with them and learned about their food culture. I've done it with Sami people mm. in uh, Lapland um, in Borneo, I've spent time with indigenous people. And for me, that's that's the story of the world, I think. Well, I think that's one of the things that makes you more unique in terms of um, like food writing or food blogging, especially, is most food blogging to me it tends to be it's a recipe or it's a story about a restaurant or it's a story about something that we all understand very easily. Whereas your thing has always been that trifecta of uh, people, food and culture. Mm. And I think that's more unusual. And I think it's why you have an interesting point of view. Like, I love it. My favorite thing that you do is when you go to Italy and you like, screw the press trip. I'm off to go find some grandma to cook with. Yeah. And you go find some, you know, nonna making pasta on the street and you just sit there and start making it with her. Like, I love that kind of stuff. It's, Thank you. It's Thank the you. sort of stuff that I like. I think a lot of people dream of going and doing. So I think it's a window on something we don't know. Yeah, I really enjoy it. And I'm like, I love... I love wandering. I mm. like going somewhere. Now, I'm in a way, I'm an appalling tourist in that I don't do any of the tourist things. No, I have no interest. No, that's a good tourist. I can't yes. stand touristy stuff. I never do. Well, like, it's not true. We're going to 
Japan next month, and um, <laughs> we are doing a bit of tourist stuff. We have stuff. to, but the tourist stuff there is super magical. Yeah, it looks as well. insane. It's it looks different. so good. Like I live in London, there are so many London things I've never done. I've been to the Tower of London once for a wine tasting. I've never actually <laughs> been in the Tower of London. I was in a hall there. I went. Where was I yesterday? I was on Shaftesbury Avenue. You know, heart of theatre land. And I realised, well, I've not been here for like three months. Yeah. I just don't, that's not London to me. No. And also, whenever, like, I go to Paris a lot, I work there a lot. And whenever someone asks for recommendations, I'm saying, fine, but just don't go anywhere near the Eiffel Tower. It's pretty yeah. fine, whatever. If you've got to go see it, see it once, fine. But it's not where, the, it's not where you find out anything about Paris. It's not where no. you actually get to learn anything about the culture. Yeah. Because all you're surrounded by is other tourists. That's so right. So I think, for me... You know, go meet a French person, go drink in a bar that no tourists are in, you know, go eat in some, you know, cheap dive place, like find the real thing. So that's fascinating. I, I totally agree. And the one time I actually did the Eiffel Tower, but under duress, I was there with friends and they really <laughs> wanted to do it. I'm not great with heights either. My resounding memory of the experience mm. is being at the very top. All the windows are so scratched, you can't see out. And a child had pooped themselves. And so the smell was <laughs> unbelievable. And I couldn't wait to get out of there. That's a, oh. But then my favourite memory of Paris, I went with friends recently, we're so lucky with the Eurostar, right? And I went with friends recently and we had, I always have plans, I have like lists, plans, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But very flexible. Yeah, Let's yeah. see what we can do. And so there's one place I wanted to go, this really great little restaurant in the Marais, Robert Louise, is it Robert Louise? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so we went and there was a, a man at the door and he was like, no, we're totally full. I have very basic French. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and I was like, can we come back later? And he's like, no. And then he went, hang on, where are you from? And I was like, Ireland. He went, Ireland? Yeah. Okay, come back in an hour and a half. Yeah, it's literally the fact that where <laughs> that restaurant is, you get so many tourists walking past. He's probably going, I'm sick of them. He just wants either people that he likes in his restaurant. Yeah, and you know, actually, it's one of the kind of great things about being Irish is generally people do tend to like us. But um, <laughs> that is very true. I was it's with like three the Canadian friends. Thing on your bag to say, I'm not American. That's right. I was with three friends who aren't Irish, and I was like, "You're all Irish for the next three hours. Just pretend you're from where I'm from." You know, whatever. We yeah, went yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. had the most spectacular night. They cook steaks over the fire on a slate. Yeah, it's in a tourist heartland of yeah, Paris. Yeah, it really is. But it is brilliant. Yeah, we had. The most amazing night, finishing in a party in the basement of the restaurant where this elderly man was playing songs on his iPod and we had to guess what they were. <laughs> it was the most bonkers evening. I think uh, I had I had this weird memory. I think I've ever talked about this. I, um, I was working in Paris and I was up very, very late and I was staying in an area that I never stay and my Airbnb was atrocious. Yeah. I booked like at the last minute, so there was nothing left. Yeah. And I met a guy, he was a barman, in an English pub. And I never got to English pubs. It was yeah. literally by in my apartment. Yeah. Uh, it was so empty. It was like me and him there. We started flirting. Then we dated for about six months. Wow. And I would just go there and back to Paris. I mean, he was also a French-Canadian, so it didn't quite work. I'm like, yeah. be French. Like, give, give me the stereotype of dating a Frenchman. Um, but it just, I, I really liked it because it gave me a window on a side of Paris that I'd never experienced because... I wasn't doing anything touristy. I was just spending time with this guy. So it was a really interesting, different side to it. And actually, interestingly, you just mentioned Japan. Japan, I've never been so lost. In, and I've been twice. <laughs> I've been on my own each time and I've always been incredibly lost. It's very hard to get around. But um, I remember once I was like, oh my God, I have no idea. Always arriving with jet lag. Mm. And I saw this person who looked like they were an English speaker. 
And I was like, amazing. And I was like, call this, stop this guy. And I was asking him directions. And he was like, turns out he's French Canadian. And I was like, oh my God. So I was trying to communicate in French. And then anyway, he was awesome. He more or less delivered me right outside to where I needed to Perfect. be. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how we get around. Because... Well, you're going to love it. But get now, like, because it's been a few years since I was there. You can like, because it was really prohibitively expensive to yeah. use Wi-Fi or to use roaming. Yes, still now, is. It still is, now but you, you can rent. The, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Um, I'm just, uh, the, the thing that I'm really excited, um, and I swear we're not just going to talk about my holiday, um, <laughs> but the thing that I'm really excited about is um, we were in Lisbon a couple months ago, and I love Lisbon. Yeah. It's one of my favorite places. But my boyfriend made a comment saying, on, that we're on a certain street, not the old town, just kind of in the town, and he said, if you if you suddenly appeared here, you wouldn't know where you were. Mm. It feels European. It doesn't mm. feel specifically... Portuguese. I mean, other parts of it do, but this uh, singular place didn't. And the thing that I'm excited about is I've never been to Asia, and I'm excited to be overwhelmed. I'm excited to be like hit in the face with confusion and something that just is unknown to me. So I can't wait for all of that to kind of hit in one go. I'm expecting to be like overwhelmed on that first day, and I can't wait. Yeah, and you maybe you won't be as overwhelmed as you think, but you're still going to love it. And like the experiences that you will have, like. I've had crazy experiences out there. Like, it's amazing for food and everything. Mm. But then one night, I, I met a friend of a friend and we ended up at this Japanese hip-hop club. <laughs> a secret club. It was totally bonkers. Amazing. So it was two in the morning and I had to leave and I got this taxi. The taxis there are amazing. Where the it's doors like, open automatically. No, no, they're just like normal cars, but there's like lace covers yeah, on yeah, all yeah. the seats. So it's like your grandma sorted the interior out. <laughs> Um, and the taxi driver was like, where are you from? Where are you from? And I was like, and he was like, you American? And I was like, no, is that English? No, no, no. Eventually I said, I'm Irish. And he went, Ireland, Ryan's daughter is such a beautiful girl. And the IRA. <laughs> and that was it. He had nothing else to say. I was in the cab for half an hour. <laughs> that was the two things about Ireland he knew. Which is amazing. <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so... We're going to move on to our second section now, which yeah. is our shopping list. So it's very okay. simple. It's just uh, kind of a multiple choice question. Mm-hmm. You can elaborate on your answers if you need to, or you can say my 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 two questions are silly and you can choose something else, but it's just meant to be getting to know you a little bit more. Yeah. So the first one's stupid, but Tato or Walkers? Tato, for God's sake. <laughs> but so I should say Tato, Tato is the, the Irish. Republic. Oh, they're different? There's Tato in Northern Ireland and Tato in the Republic, and they are completely different companies. Really? Uh, so the yellow Tato are the Northern Irish Tato. And the red. So anyone from the North, and I have a lot of family in the North, sure. they will tell you... That the North is the best. They're the best. Sure. But for me, <laughs> I'm just like, no, it's no comparison. I don't want to even eat the yellow ones. <laughs> And I won't eat the yellow ones. So I should just say, uh, Tato is just an Irish brand of crisps. It's an obsession. It's yeah, a no, national it really obsession. Is. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't, did, don't Tato now sell chocolate covered? They did Wasn't for a th- while. That was a little bit of a disappointment. I think, no, I think I liked them. Well, the chocolate wasn't great quality. Of course not. It was going to be. Yeah. You know. But the idea is fantastic. And if you have never oh, made good. a homemade uh uh, cheese and onion crisp chocolate bar, or, get on or, it immediately. That awful. Cheese and onion it's is the so worst good, flavor though, of all a, time. No, but Tato cheese and onion. So I don't. We get it. We get so it. I don't love, love walkers. I don't love walkers, but I I think there are some terrific cheesy crisps okay. in the UK that would work well. Like I love uh, the craft crisp movement. Craft <laughs> crisps. It's a thing. Uh, this one I think is going to be very hard for you. Okay. Pasta or rice? Ooh. Yeah, that's really hard. Mm-hmm. 
That's really hard. I had I had a thought in my head of what you'd say, and I thought you'd say pasta because you cook pasta. pasta more than anybody that I know. I know, an and I actually I I love it, and I love I love all types of pasta as long as it's decent pasta. Sure. I just recently put an order in. I panicked. I was like, looked in my cupboard, and I was like, oh my god, I've only got one pack of pasta left. And so I ordered sixty pounds worth of pasta. Sixty pounds. Yeah, but it lasts me for months, right? But all the I different shapes. So. <laughs> but no, because it's all about the different shapes for the different sauces sure. and having the different things. And then when it arrived, I almost panicked and I was like, "This is a lot of carbs," and I love carbs, but maybe this is insane. <laughs> I just really wanted your uh, like Arcado delivery guy to go. Why have you ordered sixty pounds worth of pasta? Like oh. that's weird. Because nobody does that. No, but not I ordered just... it from a specialist. Oh, okay. Not from a okay, So it's like fine. really good pasta. Fair, fair, fair. From fair, a specialist. Fair. All the different shapes I might possibly like. Because you've probably noticed I tend to cook on a whim. What do I fancy <laughs> right now in yeah. this moment in time? So what is your favorite shape of pasta? I don't have one really. Um, so I guess it depends on the mood. You know, you can't beat like a proper spaghetti, right? But mm-hmm. in terms of filled pasta, yeah, I can't, I can't choose that. <laughs> so I can t- think of three at the top of my head. That's not But true. something, the thing about pasta is it has to have, it has to be toothsome. It has sure. to have texture. Yeah. And um, well, there's nothing worse than overboiled, like oh, really, like so soggy, soggy pasta. It's so disappointing. Uh, London or Dungarvan? I mean, I'm sure I said that wrong as well. Uh, d- totally different. Can't compare them. Uh, London's home. Yeah. Dungarvan is kind of like heart, sure, home and heart. Um, but in terms of where I live, it, it's London. Like okay. uh, London, um, like I, I, I dream about home. I haven't been home in a while, and so I dream about it all the time. You know, it's definitely yeah, yeah, yeah a yeah, big yeah. part of my character and all my formative years were spent there. I miss the sea. I miss mm. the smell of the sea. I miss the sound of the sea. I miss the wild wind. The wind coming off the Atlantic's crazy. Well, I remember when we went to um, Wright Brothers, their seafood yeah. restaurant, and you saw that they had Dungarvan oysters. Right. And yeah. you got so excited yeah. by the fact that somewhere in London was selling oysters from your hometown. I think that was, it was very sweet. And I know those oysters now. Yeah, yeah. I was at a restaurant in Shoreditch recently, and there was oysters. And I was like, these are Dungarvan oysters, aren't they? And they were like, we'll check. And they came back and they, they were, they're just, I know those oysters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're fleshy and, yeah. you know, yeah. I say that was one of the first times I've really enjoyed oysters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is just from knowing what you cook. Mm. Uh, fried eggs or fried courgette flowers? Ooh. <laughs> well, fried eggs, of course. You put fried egg on everything. I you, do. I think you love fried eggs. I do. Which is nothing wrong with it because they're bloody lovely. But I love eggs most ways. The only yeah. thing is, and uh, peculiarly as a child, I would not eat egg white. Oh, really? I hated it so much. Is it the kind of bit where it wasn't cooked and it's a little bit too kind of I just hated slimy. the flabbiness of it. Fair. But my mother told me only recently that I wouldn't eat it because I thought it was fat. <laughs> Which is like... But as in, I hated the texture the of fat as oh, a child. Oh, 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 oh I see. It was all a texture thing. Sure. So egg white was something I only came around to yeah. much later. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have boiled egg and I would... Just uh, have the just yolk. Just have the yolk. And then my sister would love the white, so it worked out wow. quite well. Interesting. That's because it's normally the way around. I know a lot of people that don't like egg yolk, which I find insane. But yeah, um, travel writing or food writing? Ooh, again, these are really hard questions. Um, that is the point of the shopping list for me. The travel writing is so the the food writing for me is food writing in place. Mm-hmm. So in London, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. travel writing is just food writing somewhere else yeah. for me. Yeah, so yeah. I probably say travel. Okay, that's fine. Mm. Um, Gochujang or Induya? What's the first one? Gachujang. Oh, 
Oh my god, really hard so question. Both kind of like a spicy gochujang. I guess if fermented. I had gochujang, I could kind of make my own kind of andouille with it. So I'm <laughs> yeah, going to go with so gochujang. <laughs> it's amazing ingredients. I've said uh, gochujang is. I'm not the most experienced kind of Asian cook. I love Asian food. Um, and literally, when I said to uh, my boyfriend about this trip to Japan, yeah. he's been planning it before I met him. Yeah. And so uh, it's a it's a big trip for him. So I said to him, you know, what is the one thing that made you want to go to Japan? And he looked at me and said food yeah. so i said well that's why we're together <laughs> um, so i love asian food obviously yeah. gochujang is korean um but it is the one ingredient that's almost always in my fridge i <gasps> love it it's a fermented i'm gonna get it wrong now it's a fermented uh chili paste yeah but what's the what's, the flour there's flour in what's there. the main what's fermented though i can't remember what it is it's a so it's the gochugaru which is the, the chili uh, I, i'm probably not pronouncing no that i think that's right but i actually buy that Red pepper powder, it's called. Yeah, I buy, it's, yeah, yeah. It's a, I buy that by the pound. Oh, my so God. I buy it by the tiny little tube full. Oh, no, I actually, like, because I think I panic. Like, I'm like, what if I don't have enough? Like, right now, I have two bags of that. And I buy my go-to jang by the kilo. So when the uh, the the ensuing world war happens, we all know where we're coming to eat. Well, we, we'll be able to live off go-to jang for about a week. <laughs> and whatever's in the garden that hasn't been poisoned by <laughs> Uh, and this one will be very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly because I've experienced this on many evenings with you. Uh, red wine or gin? Red wine or gin? I have to say now, if we're catching up and just having a civilized couple of drinks, yeah. definitely red wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for a longer evening, gin. it's way more sensible to go with gin. Yeah, I agree. It took me a long time to learn that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I would have to agree. I think gin is my my go-to at the yeah, moment. My mine too. Uh, the, it's actually slightly scary how much gin we get through in this house. There is mm. two of us, and then our boyfriends come over. So, mm. you know, it's acceptable, but it's scary. <laughs> What's your favorite gin? Oh, that's really uh, another amazing question. I, I don't have a favorite per se. There's a really amazing gin made in Waterford, where I'm from. Mm. I really like that one. Um, there's a gin I really like in Scotland um, that I keep meaning I, I need to order it it's uh, in a beautiful bottle as well and that shouldn't matter but of course it does, of course it does but yeah. the contents are amazing I love seaweed I have loads of seaweed oh, in my cupboard as well is that one of the botanicals? It is a, a sh- it's a sugar kelp gin oh interesting it's beautiful it's Isle of Harris gin okay so but really um, I, I really like Sipsmith mm-hmm. um, I have the Sipsmith lemon gin at the moment oh interesting um, there's some terrific Irish gins. There's an amazing one called Bertha's Revenge, made from raw milk. Wow! And that has a flavour of spices for me. I tasted that and I thought korma. Interesting. I could get almond. And I could get cardamom. Is it cardamom in as one of the main botanicals? Is my favourite. Yeah, thing. me too. But it's very polarising because yeah, it really is. I was talking to a distiller and he hates cardamom, so it's not in his oh, gin. I whereas love I it. sometimes put cardamom in gin and just let it go for a yeah, while yeah, yeah, so yeah, I can yeah. have a really cardamomy gin. I see, I think the two favourite gins that I have at the moment, and it does change over mm. time, is I love um, juniper. Mm. Like a juniper heavy gin for me is mm. great. So I love Sipsmith's VJOP, That's which great. is the very juniper overproof gin. And it hits you in the face with juniper. Mm. But it's for me, it's just an incredible drink. And then um, my boyfriend bought it for my birthday... Um, a bottle of Conquer Gin from Dorset, oh, and it's beautiful. Mm. It's a very good kind of. It's not like super heavy one way or the other in botanicals. Mm. It's very balanced, but it's absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. Actually, my favorite. So I haven't mentioned the two gins that I really love, and I don't know why I wasn't <laughs> even thinking. I wasn't prepared for the question. There's a gin from Wicklow in Ireland, Glendalough Gin. It's seasonal. 
500 bottles per season. I always bring whenever I come through the airport because it's it depends on the wild botanicals that are available at the time. And I had one recently and I could just get that flavor of furs, that beautiful oh, yellow flower. So it changes every year? It changes every season. Oh, nice. They, is, and so then a, a Spanish gin, I adore this one. Oh, gin it's man? It's a Galician oh. gin. No, Galician gin, Nordes. Okay. And it is in this white bottle. And actually, every time I go to Spain, I bring some back. And I was in Spain recently and I forgot to bring some around out of time. So I'm actually out at the moment. <laughs> but it, it's um, all of the wild botanicals on the Atlantic coast. And I don't oh, know. Nice. For me, it's a really terrific gin. And mm. everyone that I give it to loves it. I guess I have a special affinity with the Atlantic coast because that's sure, where I grew up. Of course. But the flavors are sublime. Well, really I think that's sublime. the thing with any sort of drink is you find mm. the one that you like. Yeah. You know, some people will like very different wines. So I don't mm. think that matters really. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes people can be very uh, hung up on the idea of the best yeah and i think it's a very arbitrary thing that doesn't really exist i don't like like people ask me what my favorite time is like it depends on the day you ask me yeah, or you know like like i don't have a favorite if you only liked one thing how dull would everything be <laughs> i remember my most asked question in interviews is what's your favorite cake to make oh. and like i'll answer it but it's basically again depends on the day yeah. depends on my mood depends on what i'm working on uh, so i agree I, don't, I think the kind of that sort of question is a little difficult yeah um so we're going to move on to our final section, mm-hmm. which is the recycling bin. My yeah. very subtly, not so subtly, uh, ripped off version of Room 101. <laughs> so basically, what I need is you to give me an ingredient, uh, something in food, a person maybe, or um, a trend, something in food that you can't stand and you want to get rid of, and you have to convince me to put it in the you know what recycling bin. I can guess. Clean eating. <laughs> so I think from from the next episode, I'm just going to have to say, apart from clean eating, because that's... <laughs> All food writers ever say. Well, for me... We can end the podcast now. I'm disagreeing. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, um, I actually... Do you know what I would... I don't like when things become extracted from their origin mm-hmm. and become, like, expensive branded versions and of what they were. Yeah, I agree. And I think clean eating has championed a whole lot of that. Mm-hmm. Like, you can get coconut oil in any Asian shop for £2, nah. £3. Or you can pay £10 for the nicer looking jar, you know. Um, I feel like I would like food, uh, I would like people's attitude towards food to be uh, like a little less complicated. Mm -hmm. Like, because I think the way that food is complicated in our culture now, it's intimidating for people and they are afraid they don't know how to do something. Mm -hmm. Whereas cooking, and this is again something I really like about Snapchat, is the immediacy of it. It's just like, well, this isn't hard. Mm-hmm. This is just what I'm doing. I'm just using what's in my cupboard. So I think I would remove uh, the complications around it. Um, I would like to see different food television. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's some, like I love Rick Stein and what he does, but I think we need more story-based food television. Yeah, I agree. Less competitive food television. <laughs> and I know, I mean, obviously, you're no, the I, one I, who bakes no, the makeup. But, I, I agree, I think. Yeah. For me, Bake Off was an outlier yeah. because it, it it had a charm that actually carried it through, whereas I don't think a lot of competitive cooking does. I just think it's it's noise most of the time. It is. And unfortunately, I think we... we uh, So the, of the, those shows can be really brilliant in that they do give people who are really good an opportunity yeah, absolutely. to shine. But they don't actually... I don't think they encourage people, which I is what I want. I don't think they contribute to food culture in any way. No. And um, apart from introducing these people who... Like some people that I've found... And I don't watch MasterChef or anything like that. 
And in fact, what's been really interesting to me over the years is people that I start following and I find out like a year later that they won <laughs> MasterChef and I had no idea, you know, like um, or like I met someone recently at, at something and he, he was like, um, I, I think he kind of assumed I knew who he was. He's a really nice guy. I mm. mean, I'm not saying that in a bad way, but I was like, I'm sorry, what book are you referring to? And he was like, oh, the MasterChef book. And I was like, oh, OK, sorry, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. watch it. So I think what I would like to see is just more... Um, like I, th- I think clean eating has been a reflection of the kind of bad road you can go down yeah. with a lot. I'm a scientist. Yeah. The pseudoscience and the fake news, yeah, yeah. I just can't handle it. I can't handle it. And I won't. Yeah. So I think we need a lot more kind of real, like real stuff. Like Nigel Slater, yeah, yeah, Nigella. Yeah. Yeah. They're the people I love. You know, and their food's amazing. Yeah. And it comes from the heart. Yeah, well, I think that's the difference And they're the not selling you something. Yeah, that's the big difference for me. I um I've been a huge Nigel Slater and Nigella fan since I was a kid. Yeah. And I think the reason for it and the reason it's different and I think actually they share the same thing with uh, Rick Stein as yeah. well, is there's a real honesty to what they mm. do, but also there's a real, real warmth to what they do. I remember watching Nigel used to have this series on BBC Two, middle of the afternoon, and I can't remember what it's called, but he basically would interview a famous person. Yeah. About their food. It's actually yes. very... Actually, thinking about it now, maybe that's where I stole the idea for this podcast from. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it was basically chatting about a person's relationship to food. Yeah. And then he would cook their meals for them. Yeah, and it was so... That. Like, it's too slow for TV these days. But it was so warm. Yeah. And so kind of welcoming. And there is something about all those people that just make you want to get in the kitchen yeah. and cook. Because it comes from pure love. It's not, I want to be famous, I'm going to cook. It's just a real simple... I love food. I want you to love food. Here's some delicious food. And here's you know. some great ideas for you, right? And I think, again, something that really annoys me is, and it, I like, you know, there's some terrific food journalism out there, but if I see one more, this is the new Nigella, this is the next Nigella, I just think <laughs> it's, well, it's offensive it's to so Nigella lazy. and it's offensive to the person. There's not going to be a new Nigella. Mm. There's just one Nigella and that that other person is themselves and like, People, and I feel like the food media have now become very conservative and they, they want something that they know will be successful. Mm-hmm. They're not willing to take risks on something. Well, I think that's probably because, um, especially with kind of old-fashioned traditional media, that's probably because their sales are all going down, yeah. so they become more risk-averse so that they know what works. But actually, I think sometimes that's more problematic mm. because when you become risk-averse, you're not doing anything different, no. so you're not changing your path. And, you know, I have to say the joy of, of social media and the joy of online is I love discovering yeah. new people doing yeah, awesome yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. Because I think, you know, done right, your <laughs> social feeds can be an insight into kind of your creative passions and the mm-hmm. stuff that you want to share. And I just love seeing something that someone's made and going, God, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. You know, and that's inspiring. I completely agree. Yeah. I think. That's the, I think that is one of the big things about social media that I love is that yeah. it's people doing what they love without constraint of an editor or, you know, earning a living from it. It's just them doing something that they absolutely love. And again, like I've learned, and I, you know, I hired an editor for my book and I hired a photographer and I hired sure. all these things, but actually editors are very, very valuable, but you need an editor that you can work with. Yeah. Like it's a, who it's a relationship. You. Yes. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining me today. So if people want to follow you on all your social medias, where are you? Uh, at Eat Like a Girl. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook page, and <laughs> Snapchat, of course. Yeah. And uh, whatever new and exciting one comes up, I don't really use Pinterest. Hilariously, I remember Who you using to me. Oh. 
Loads of people do, right? Well, I think a lot of people do, but for me, Pinterest is an odd one because I don't know. It, it just it just doesn't seem to work with what I do. So no. I have an account, but I never use it. It's like so. scrapbooking, and I, I've never liked scrapbooking. Yeah, I think a lot. The mo- more people that use it, it is generally for for kind of it is a version of scrapbooking. So mm. I know people that use it for kind of developing their new mm. kitchen design or that kind of stuff. But for me, it's not there. So, mm. um, good luck with the book. Thank you. I can't wait to see it. Um, to get my Kickstarter. Uh, reward or whatever they call it uh yeah i think i think it's what's called but yeah i'm excited to see it and cut from it so but again thank you for joining me today thank you very much thanks bye-bye